Hey, welcome to New Hope Underground. We're back again, and we're glad you're listening. And we've had some uh, great interviews, some great content. I don't know if you can call Hot Goss great content. Nah, obviously just giving Tyler and Christy a little bit of uh, shade there, just for fun. Hey, today I've got with me uh, Stephanie Packer. Hi, Stephanie. Hey, Darren, how are you? How's your day going? It's going pretty good. I can't complain. Now, we had a snow day yesterday. We did. So that meant your your little one was home. He was, and he played <laughs> outside, and I took a nap. Hey, there you go. And that's what that's the way snow days are supposed to be. That's right. <laughs> that's the best snow day. You can, and it really didn't end up being too much of a bad weather day. Not to, at all. You know, it's a nice snow. But uh, my, uh, my wife always says, uh, if it's going to be brown outside, it might as well be white. I agree. Yeah. But I know a lot of people are really in the <laughs> snow. But anyway, glad you're here today. And uh, we have, we're, we're kind of continuing kind of a series. I say series, but it's, it's basically what we've been doing this last year here in New Hope Underground. We've had some moments where uh, Tyler and I will talk about a series overview, talking about different sermons, things like that. And then, of course, we have the hot goss thing going on, which is, <laughs> which is Tyler and Christy talking about uh, church things that are coming up and so forth. But most of the time, we've just been sitting and talking with people, catching up with people here that attend New Hope just for uh, so you have a chance to uh, get to know them a little bit better. So, Steph, let's just start there. Just kind of open up. You know, how long have you been uh, coming to New Hope? And maybe tell us a little bit about your family and so forth. Yeah, Darren. Um, we started attending here, it's been 11, 11 years ago. Wow. I think I was pregnant with Jax when we started coming here. I grew up uh, Catholic, and my husband was Christian, and we were kind of looking for a church that felt right for both of us. This is the first place that we visited, and we never went anywhere else. Now, you went to, you did go to Neoga for a little bit. We did, we did. And I I know people listening may have no idea what we're talking about, but I used to preach in this church in Neoga where you guys went, and actually got to perform your wedding. Yes, you did. So that was pretty cool, in your front yard. (laughs) Absolutely, that's how you do it in Trowbridge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you live in in Trowbridge. Trowbridge. Now, how many people are in Trowbridge? You know, I should know that since I'm the self-proclaimed mayor, but I really don't know. You're the self-proclaimed mayor? Yeah, I, I really don't know. <laughs> you could probably, I tell you what, you're probably knocking a few doors and count them real easy, though. Yeah, I can get a sense it's done for you by Friday, I'm sure. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah, just drive by. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, but yeah, so how do you like living in the country? I mean, you like it out there? You know, I did, it was an adjustment when we, Trent and I first got married. We've been married 13 years and, uh, but I love it now. I love it now. I'd always lived in town, but it was an adjustment. So we've known each other 13 years. Yes. Yeah. Just about that. Cause that's about around the time I first met you. Mm -hmm. So that's crazy. Time just flies. It's nuts. And you have a little one, Jax. We do. And he is how old? He's 10 now. He's 10. That's hard to believe. (laughs) What grade is that? Fourth. Fourth grade. Mm-hmm. My goodness. So how's how's it being a mom? Oh, it's it's awesome. It is awesome and hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I keep checking him for the the manual, yeah. even ten years later, and I still can't find one. But no manual. You know, yeah, but it it it's something that I always wanted, and that was quite a journey of its own. But um, the Lord finally blessed me. You know, I've four great stepsons but he finally blessed me blessed us with jacks in 2012 so 
Yeah, that's that was that was a story. That's quite a story. Because I mean, it was quite a while. I mean, I remember being with you mm. and through a few tears. For a long time in my life, that I that was probably the my most painful uh, journey was my journey to of infertility, and yeah, it was very very difficult and a lot of fear. You know what? What if? It's not in my plan or in the Lord's plans for for me to have a child of my own. And that was really, really scary, really scary. And we we had several failed cycles. And it's weird because I can remember standing where I was standing the day that I text my sister-in-law and said, you know, I was getting ready to find out if the last cycle worked. And I said, "I I don't know if the Lord wants me to be a mom, but... Even if I know it's going to be hard, but I know I'm going to be okay. And, you know, that feeling that you get when you're like, because God's will isn't always our will. Mm-hmm. And when it's something so close to the heart like that, it's, it really tests your, tests your faith. And obviously he did bless us, but I didn't know that at the time that I had the feeling, you know. So, I mean, I, I look back on that a lot, a whole lot. So there was a lot of wrestling and maybe even being upset with God. While that's going on, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Like, why, you know? And you almost you feel almost like you're not really a woman. I mean, we're supposed to have children, and we're supposed to do all these things. At least that's what I thought, mm-hmm. you know. And when you when you can't do that, it's it's hard. It's also just dream just dreams of your own. I mean, the fact that you get married and have kids. I mean, right? Yeah. yeah. And now it's like this isn't going to be reality. Yeah, I remember. Th- I remember that very kind of starkly myself. In that you telling me that you were going, did you? It took a long time for you to finally kind of accept mm-hmm. that maybe this, that maybe God's will wasn't yours, kind of thing. And right. and it was then when Jax came around. <laughs> right. It's funny how that works sometimes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> what do you think you learned through that? I mean, I think the feeling of peace that even though it might not work out how I want it to, that as long as I stay close to God, that I'm going to be okay. And, Mm. you know, throughout my life, I had seen that happen. That had played true for me. But, you know, I can remember I would tell Trent, you know, if, because even when it comes to something like infertility treatment, you have the thought, well, if, God wanted me to have children. I would just be able to have them. You don't, we never wanted to go against God's will, but I wanted it so bad. I would tell him, if you feel at any point that we should not be doing this, please tell me because it is really hard for me because I want this so bad, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think throughout all of that, I, I learned to trust no matter what. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those passages and I can never, Tell you exactly for some reason I can't tell you exactly where it's at. <laughs> I just know it's it's a real famous passage in the Old Testament. That, you know, it basically says that uh, when we really trust in God, He gives us the, the delights of our heart or our desires. Right. Yep. You know, so it seemed like that was true in your situation. It felt like it took the trusting first. Yes. Yeah. Now, I one thing, and the reason I asked Steph to come in and and tell us her story is. That's one part story of your life, but I know that when, when let's, let's let me ask this question first. When's the first time you really you said you were, grew up Catholic? 
But uh, was faith real to you when you were, the, you know, when was the first time you really felt like you accepted Christ as your Savior? And Oh, it honestly, growing up Catholic, um, at least my experience and my family, it was more of these are what you do and, and when you do it. And I messed out on the relationship part. Um, I always believed in God, even even in my darkest days, I always believed that Jesus was my Savior. But I didn't really have that relationship. And honestly, that happened here at New Hope. I mean, so, mo- you know, it was 30 years, you know, right before I got that. So how would you describe your relationship with God then in those 30 years? I mean... It was more of, you know, there was a lot of fear there. Like, I didn't understand. I didn't truly understand the love that Jesus has for us. And I honestly probably didn't really fully grasp that till about three years ago. Mm-hmm. But I was starting to. But back then, it was more of a, it was empty, really. I mean, I don't even really know how to put it into words, which is not good for a podcast. <laughs> well, that's good. No, that's fine. So it's, uh, it's empty in kind of a, more of a religious thing. Yes. Like you knew yeah. it in the back of your mind, but it wasn't something that Jesus didn't... Um, it wasn't in my heart. Yeah. And not an everyday life kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How is it... I, I know that your life has been a real bumpy road. Correct, it has. To say the least. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just curious, like, I don't want you to share anything you don't want to share, of course, but I would love, I think people need to hear, to some degree anyway, some of your journey. Because I, like you said, it wasn't until like three years ago that you felt like maybe some things clicked with Jesus that never had before. Right. So why, why? Well, I grew up in, um, in a home that was just engulfed and swallowed up in addiction and um like i said my family was catholic so church attend church attendance was always important and appearances was always important um and you know just growing up in that environment and then as i got into my teenage years i you know started to have those struggles as well with addiction and I ended up going to treatment. I turned 21 in treatment and I, you know, for 10 years or so I did, I did re- really well, you know, and I, you know, most of my adult life was clean and sober, but, um, see, I don't even know how to roll, roll into it. Like I didn't just wake up one day and it happened, but over in 2017, my biological mother, um, she had called and she, you know, she's still, using and not in just uh, there was a lot of guilt that I had that I could save her and those those types of things so all, all these years later she was still correct. in addiction yeah okay I'm sorry no no and she um she had called me it was a Saturday night or the neighbor called me and said that um that she they thought something was wrong with her that her you know she was laying in her floor and my initial reaction was you know I was angry I was like oh she's probably you know on something and I called a family friend and they agreed that she probably was and she was but she was dying so 
you know, she, the next day we found out she passed away in the night. And that was like everything that I went through in my life that I thought I had dealt with, all the things growing up as a child like that, like that. I thought I had dealt with those things, but really what I did was out of sight, out of mind. If mm-hmm. I didn't, wasn't thinking about them or she wasn't around me, I was okay. Mm-hmm you know, but it all kind of hit me in the face. And I had a prescription for an, for anxiety medicine and which I quickly started to abuse. And it just spiraled over the course of two and a half years. And I was in full blown addiction again. And it, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And you know, what? it's so crazy to talk about now because my life today it just feels like another dimension right you know and i i never thought that i would have the i never thought i'd be able to live in my own skin and and feel peace you know after all of that you know the guilt that i had for you know having those struggles as a mother and how could i do that after my for you know infertility issues how could this happen and all that kind of gross stuff that goes along with it the stigma that goes mm-hmm. along with addiction you know people die hiding behind the shame you know they don't that's the number one reason people don't get help mm-hmm. so yeah it just kind of well putting this in perspective a little bit just to make sure everybody understands you were you struggled with addiction early at yes. a young age because of being raised in an environment that was that way. Did, did, did you actually leave your home at, at a young age? Were you, you said biological mother. So were you in any sort of foster? I, w- I wasn't. Um, well, I went to stay um, with some people that she, that my biological mom actually knew from, from AA ironically. And she kind she's just, you know, kind of took over and raised me. But, as a teenager, you just kind of want to, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And over there, there were no rules with right. my biological mother. So, you know, I, I was around for, until I was 18. So you kind of grew up real fast in a way, cause you were doing adult things and then you, you found yourself addicted. Yes. Which I, I, I if you don't mind, I'm just going to explore something just out of my own curiosity. No, go ahead. I'm always amazed, and I, I understand this because this is true. I mean, the data bears it out across the board that most people who are raised in addictive-type families become addicts themselves. But I never understood that. I've always thought in my head, and this is someone who can't relate, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to even attempt to rel- you know, say that I can uh, because I've just never had that. Um, I've had addiction to food. <laughs> I'm good at that one. Uh, but some other things. But I, here's my thing. My point is, I guess, is this, is that when you're, even though you're that young, did it ever impress upon you, man, I don't want to be this, but yet you found yourself in it. What, what can I describe that struggle? Because I think so many people have that. I mean. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I, the feelings that I had towards her um, were gross. And they made me feel gross as a person because yeah. I just could barely stand to be around her. Um, I. I think growing up like that, you don't ever feel secure. You have no security that the kind of security that a child should have with with their parents. Um, I can remember at 12 years old wondering how we were going to eat because she had gotten fired from her job Mm -hmm. or buttoning her pants and getting her up for work. And you just kind of lose any any respect. Mm -hmm. And I can remember the first time I ever took a drink. It was like, wow, I finally feel okay. 
you know, mm-hmm. it just kind of, it numbs you. And then you can kind of be some, someone else, but it only works for so long, you know. Mm. So there's a sense of abandonment. Oh, yes. Because yeah. it's, not, it's not just about, oh, mom's fighting with addiction. It's the fact she's not being mom, you know, so therefore you're on your own. And you don't really understand those things as a child. Um, you think, you know, if I just stay home, if I just babysit her, she won't do this. Or, you know, this will happen, kind of thinking that you can control it. Or why am I not enough for, for her to, you know, get help with these things? Did you um, feel like, and I, sorry, and tell me if you don't want to answer this because it may be too deep of a psychological question. <laughs> but I'm just curious, do you ever feel like she was running away from something? Is that why... Because when you said that you took a drink, is because you were felt like you needed to run away. Right. Um, I've spent so many hours of my life trying to figure out why she was the way that she was. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure she. I don't know if something happened to her as a child because she literally died in addiction. You know, and she spent her whole life like that struggling and battling Mm. and never being able to maintain any sobriety so I don't really know what she never shared with me anything that maybe possibly happened to her but I think maybe something maybe happened to her I don't my grandmother was amazing you know as far as what people have told me and when she died when I was six my she took care of me until until she passed away um so I don't I don't know I think maybe um, her biological, my my grandfather, which died before I was ever around, maybe had some alcoholism, but I'm not really 100% sure. So at a young age, when you kind of turned to alcohol and other things yourself, was that, that was definitely escapism for you? I mean... Yes. And as I got into the teenage years, I was really embarrassed mm-hmm. of her and her situation. And I didn't want anyone to know. You know, and it's just a lot of hiding. And when you're in a home like that, there's a lot of don't tell. You don't, you know, I was constantly lying for Mm. her and, and, you know, keeping secrets. And it just kind of becomes your culture, you know. Everything's everything's secretive and that's a lot. So you start to behave that way yourself and the way with other people. Now, you said you went to treatment at like 21. You had your 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. birthday in treatment so how long of a process was that i was there six months i three months in like a residential setting and then three months in a halfway program and then when i went from there to my own apartment and huh. so you know i did and i did really well for you know 10 or 11 years and then i kind of struggled again for just briefly and then so this is you at, in young 20 somethings mm-hmm. when did how old were you when you met trent 31 okay so in between times here you were doing real well and then after you meet trent and get married this is when things happen with your mom or is it before that um that happened in yep trent and i were married in 2009 and she um she died in 2017 that's why i thought it's much later Mm -hmm. and so this is you're already a mother by this time but this is when things raise their ugly head again. Yes. Okay. And, you know, and it wasn't just that that she, there was guilt, like I could have saved her if I would have, I, that, like, I just became obsessed with when did she die? 
could I, you know, if I would have called an ambulance, would I have saved her? And those thoughts just kept going through my head, but I was already kind of in a, not a really good place as far as like my recovery and as a Christian, because I had been traveling a lot for work and I was struggling with leaving Jack's and being gone. And I became kind of a, what you would call a a Sunday morning Christian. Mm -hmm. You know, I came to church, Mm -hmm. I worshiped, I volunteered, and then I put them on a shelf Mm -hmm. I took them off on Sunday morning, dusted them off and came back. Kind of of like when you were a kid, when you said it's about appearances. Yes. Yes. Very, very much so. You kind of reverted back to that. Yes. So what, uh, and and again, don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I'm curious as to, I think it will help people understand like uh, what exactly happened, do you think, as to why you kind of dove dove back into addiction and was it the same kind of addiction or I I guess that's what I'm curious about. No, it it was a whole another demon um, before I had just been, a, you know, my struggles were with alcohol. I'd never really, um, done anything else, but, um, like I said, I had the, the Xanax and, um, I was taking them, I was abusing them. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm a full blown heroin addict. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, so this was a different ball game in oh, recent yeah. years. Oh yeah. And, and not only that, but now you're married a mother and you know a christian who've you know who like you said learn how to trust god and i'm just gonna i was curious just to hear from your voice what happened (laughs) you know because i I think that's a really good question because i think that a lot of people because i think it could happen to any of us steph is what i'm trying to say right there's none of us that are immune to the pressures of life Mm -hmm. so i'm just i'm to hear from you you know what what happened? Because it sounded like some things were on the up and up, you know? Oh, for sure. And I think like with the success of my career and stuff, I kind of, that kind of in my mind became my identity. And I was very proud of, you know, my career and all the cool places I traveled and all the cool things that I, I got to see and do. And um, I never wanted anyone to know that I was in recovery on the on these trips. I was always very ashamed of the addiction aspect. And that's the one of the biggest things that's changed for me now is that I refuse to hide, you know, because I think that the Lord mm-hmm. saved me so that I can help somebody. And I don't know when I when that's who that's gonna be or when that's gonna happen. So I always have to be willing to share. But like I said, I, I kind of put for people, for us as Christians, Our relationship with the Lord should be like first and foremost, obviously, but with someone who struggles with addiction, at least has been my experience, it's even way more important Mm. because no human power Mm. can relieve that. You know, so if you, if he's not number one and these old behaviors start to creep back in, you know, that maybe some dishonesty or even when, in my opinion, me not being willing to, to share, I was kind of hiding, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that stuff keeps you sick. And I think it was the perfect storm as far as where I was with my relationship with Jesus and the things that were going on in my personal life. It, it when it all came to head and plus a lot of unresolved childhood traumas that I had never really wanted to, to take a look at. So it's like internally you're dealing with all this pain and confusion 
at the same time, you've got all this responsibility at home and you've got a job that you feel good about and you want people to see you well. So it just kind of starts to, I don't know, maybe at first I'm guessing that at first you're thinking, well, this medication's helping me. And then next thing you know, it's just more and more and more because you're trying to deaden the pain that's going on and still give a good face to your job yeah. and so forth, right? Yes. It, with the type of drug that heroin is, it you can't hide it. And it. I had no idea I was putting something in my body that I was going to be so physically ill if I didn't have mm. that I would rather die. Mm. Um, and the withdrawals when I would try to quit on my own were horrible. I mean, horrible, horrible. I mean, I'm sad that, you know, my husband and even my, I mean, Jax doesn't really know what went on. He knows that I, mom wasn't okay for a while, but he doesn't have like a, mm. a name to put on it. Sure. But I mean, it was horrible. It was, it was horrible. And I just had no idea. Um, I didn't really research that very, very well, but it's very addicting. And it was the ultimate. It was like when, when I tried it, all that pain that I was feeling about my biological mother, um, and all that stuff, it instantly went away because you're just completely numb. Right. You know? So, and it, it spiraled very quick. Um, I think that I, it was probably, it probably only took a couple of months before I, I was, was fired from a job that I had had for 10 years that I loved, you know. The very thing you were trying to protect. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I had, during the course of, of this, I had um, four, I totaled four vehicles. Um, thankfully, uh, my son was never with me and no one was injured. They, um. But they were uh, overdoses behind, you know, I'd, and I had four, DU, four DUI drug charges in three months um, where I'd overdose behind the wheel. And it's only by the grace of God that no one was hurt. In, the, in one of these moments, I mean, about, we about lost you. Yeah. Just being yep. honest. Yeah. Um, the very last one, uh, I was on 57 and... Uh, I overdosed and hit a semi. I hit the back end of a semi. And um, they had to uh, restart my heart, yeah, on that one. So, I, you know, I had Narcan saved my life seven times over the course of, of that, in, in the Lord, of course. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It was a lot for, you know, you know my house, you know Trent. I mean, it was a yeah. lot. It yeah. was a lot. It was scary. And, you know, for them, for me, it was a lot of emptiness. And I still would come to church, and I would cry during worship. And I just, I would think, man, if I could just not, if I could just get off this stuff, I'm a pretty good person, you know. I don't really do anything mm-hmm. bad. I, I do love Jesus. I mean, and I love my kid. How did I, you know, how did I let this happen? And Lord, if you would please just let me not go through the withdrawal. I would, I mean, I would pray that and I honestly would. Mm-hmm. And that's just mm-hmm. not how he works for me anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Sometimes he, yeah, it seems like he, I understand why you would pray that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, mean I think all of us pray, you know, why do I have to go through this? Or why is this, this happening to me when we know it's our, own re, you know it's our own fault it's our right, own, right. it's our own uh, inconsistencies and problems and brokenness mm-hmm. but he he just 
he just doesn't. I mean, and I, I wonder if a lot, so much of it has to do with the fact that we never will, really will learn even more of what it means to, to trust him if you don't hang on through that. And so how, I guess, when you're in the throes of this, and you said that you felt like you were kind of a Sunday morning only Christian, this kind of thing, did you just get to a point where you just didn't want to pray or anything anymore because you were just kind of running and hiding? Yeah, you don't. You almost feel dirty. Like, how dare me go and ask mm-hmm. the Lord to help me when I'm sneaking around and doing this and lying to my husband about, you know, because I became exactly who my biological mother was for me. I would, mm-hmm. if Trent would ask me or try to confront me, I would try to make him feel like he was crazy and I would be mean and, you know, and the, don't talk to anybody about this. And just like she would do to me, you know, hide I was it, keeping him. Yeah. yeah. Let's all stay sick together, you know, kind of thing. And yeah. And so you're hiding from uh, your husband, you're hiding from family, you're hiding from God everyone yes and work yep what uh describe to me if you can because i I think one of the most powerful thing about your testimony obviously is the fact that you're sober now yeah you know the fact that god has brought you through all this you're still married oh yeah you're still mother yep and so there's a lot of grace there Mm. right i'm gonna try when i think about that i instantly get emotional i mean it, you know, it's okay. Be emotional. Cause it's, I, it's, yeah. fu- it's funny though. You know, we talk a lot about here at church about, um, you know, we're a bigger size church and that's why we try to do these, these, we have life groups and things because, you know, we are a big community and how important those are. And after I, you know, I told you about all the dishonest, the, the secret keeping and stuff. I finally told my, our life group that I, was addicted to heroin Mm. and you know i'm in the middle of it and that was huge for me that was huge you know they say that christians are judgmental and we can be i mean we we all can struggle with that you bet but the reception that i got from these people our friends and our life group that that we became friends with because of our was amazing i mean a lot of grace they prayed for me and prayed for me and prayed for Trent. And by me doing that, it also opened it up for him to have someone to talk to, you know, who better than other people who love Jesus. And yeah, they just really saw us through, through it. And not just me getting, me getting, getting clean, but the, the repercussions of the legal aspect of things that happened while I was out there. I mean, they, they've stood by through it all and, you know, I was talking to one of them yesterday, and he's like, "Yeah, a lot of prayers went up for you." <laughs> yeah, and it was and he's it's been, really beautiful. He's been faithful through his people, and I. What, what? When did things start to turn around? Was was the last moment when they had to restart your heart? I mean, that had to be because uh, I I think it was close to that time, right, when you started to kind of heal and come back. It from was that, or when did things really turn around? Um, I ended up, um, Trent finally said after that, um, that you, you need to go to treatment. You can't come back here until you, you know, cause he had to protect our son yeah. and you know, when it Trent's wasn't, a, hel- Trent's a strong guy. He is. And it wasn't helping me, yeah. you know, and my mom, my 
adopted mom, I call her, would say, you know, he's literally loving you to death. He's enabling you. She ironically works in substance abuse. So it was really hard for, for her. But so I ended up going back to treatment and I, you know, I was there 30 days and I did not want to be there. I'm not even going to lie. I did not want to be there. I didn't know if I could stand myself sober. And I was just kind of in a really, really bad place. And I started to have seizures from um, the benzodiazepine that I'd been taking. And they medically discharged me. And so I didn't want to, they wanted me to go to another inpatient. I didn't want to do that because I, I know what's better, you know. So mm-hmm. I ended up going to um, out, agreeing to outpatient, but that weekend I ended up getting a bunch of, of Xanax and um, using them. And I don't really remember anything, but that Monday morning I woke up on my couch and I thought, I cannot do this anymore. This isn't working. You know, so I'm terrified. So even after all of that, you went back to it? Yeah. And I, I just, this is not... And I was terrified because I had gotten those DUIs and am I going to go to prison? Because you can't Mm -hmm. in four DUIs in the state of Illinois, you don't ever drive again. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. and I was so scared to pray for God's will because what if it was for me to go to prison? Mm. You know, Mm. but what I realized is that just because I don't ask for it doesn't mean it's not going to, you know, it's not going to happen. But I knew that day that I couldn't do it anymore. And I had a great counselor um, who I, she said, just don't lie to me any, anymore because yeah. I've never been one of those people if I'm struggling, I'm going to try to hide it. I, don't, I wouldn't just come out and be like, hey, I feel like I might relapse or something like that. Um, so I made that commitment. And she prayed for me and everyone else prayed for me until I could pray for, for myself. But by the mm. end of about two weeks, um, I was ready Regardless, I knew no matter what the consequences were, I wanted to be sober. And I was going to, and I just started putting one foot in front of the other, trusting the Lord, leaning on the people around me. What was your, what was your prayer life like then? I prayed a lot. (laughs) I actually (laughs) prayed a lot, but I asked, I, the one thing I would ask for was that there would be no hard consequences for Trenton Jacks because I was worried. I was, I've never even been in jail. You know, I'm going to go to prison for this. You know, I was worried about that, but I could, I was at the place where I couldn't let, I mean, humility had, I had to be humble, but I couldn't let my pride. I had to be real with people because I needed them and I didn't want to hide anymore. Hmm. So that was huge. Just the, just coming to this understanding that you need to be out in the open it with, was, ev- with everything. Yeah, and yeah. it was probably um, ten. I was probably clean for ten months before I I remember feeling. I was afraid that um, I would never feel any joy again, and I I had to learn a little bit about you know what the physical effects of of that stuff is mm. on your body and how long mm. it takes your body and your brain to, to um, a level out again. And then the mental stuff, the spiritual stuff, you know, and I had to become willing to do some things that I hadn't been willing to do before. And mm. um, one of those was trauma counseling. Um, and I had to just really pray 
for that, for God to give me the willingness, give me the willingness to do what I have to do to finally heal because it can't, it can't Mm. be, I'm a mother now and it can't be about Mm. mine anymore. Yeah. You know, so. But it's, it's almost like you, when you're talking about coming out in the open and staying, you know, not hiding, not the shame. It's not only now, it's everything in your past too. Like, I mean, you had to relive like everything and get it out because gosh. So, Jesus, you mentioned earlier that that Jesus has saved you. Yes. I mean, you, over and over again. And I may be putting words in your mouth. I, I think you're, I've heard you say it, so I know it's true. But Jesus has saved you. And here's the thing: what has He saved you to right now? Because I know that you're not in prison. Right. <laughs> you're driving. Yep. So what happened? I mean, how how has He put things back together? Um, and what are you doing now? For well, his, he's because you said he's he's been using you. He has been. <laughs> well, I uh, I just started. I mean, I just accepted the fact that I mean, I kind of always thought I had all the answers, and I knew me better than anybody because I'm me. That maybe I didn't, and maybe that not only did that the Lord put people in my life that were going to help me and guide me, and boy, did he. And, you know, and I just had to become willing to, to do those things. And it was really hard. I, the first 10 months of my recovery were almost as hard as it is being in it. I mean, they were hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard as a mother, as a wife, as a, a Christian to, to look, take an honest look at yourself mm-hmm. and see how your actions have affected the people you love the most in the mm-hmm. world, you know, yeah. it's really, really, really hard. And I, you know, I just followed suggestions. I prayed a lot. I leaned on our life group. Um, I kept, I refused to hide is, is one of the biggest things that I did. I kept them updated with, with my court stuff and some things got dropped. Some things got reduced. And like you said, I'm, you know, I'm driving again, but more importantly, um, I have the really a relationship. Like I said in the beginning, I don't really, I really don't think I was able to comprehend the love that Christ has for us until He walked me through this. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, I've kind of given a quick synopsis of of what happened, but to have been there and walked with me through it and to see. You know, I people tell me that I'm the best version of myself. I'm way better than I was. I'm content. I mean, I'm just happy. Mm. I mean, I'm alive. My, you know, I'm sober. My my kids happy. I I think my husband's happy. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, think he is. It's, it's, it's so interesting the parallel between the battle with infertility and giving up and saying I need to trust God, and then you have a son, and then here saying i'm so afraid everything's gonna happen to me but i just got to give it up and then he takes care of things you know it's it's, it's, a parallel there and also that's i I, the other thing too is he's using you now to help other people yeah what what are you doing um i've had the opportunity to participate in the um the state anti-stigma campaign um I got to do that. I've got to share my story in the treatment center that I went to. So this um, is a campaign that's helping people with addictions. Yes. Okay. And to, to break this, the stigma, because I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people, 
I get told all the time, you don't look like somebody that would be a recovering heroin addict. And that's, you know, that's a stigma in all in its own, you know, well, what's that person look like? Yeah. You know, and that's why I think that it's so important that I use my voice because it could happen in the way that things are with all the fentanyl coming into the country. And I mean, kids are at risk. You know, it's not the same world that I grew up in, right? you know, as far as that stuff. And I think that I just really, I used to think, why? Why? But now I know. I, th- I know that the Lord wants me to use my experience to help other people. That's awesome. I know that he does. That is awesome. Hey, I've got two last questions for yep. you. They're not going to be easy. Oh, great. Okay, just so you know. But you've, you've been so great with us today. So, and I just think this is going to be really beneficial to people to hear this. And that is, what would you say to someone right now who's struggling, who's maybe needing to escape themselves and looking for ways out that doesn't include Jesus? It's so not funny, ha-ha, that you asked me that. But um, I found myself listening to your sermon in church Sunday, looking around because that's the same sanctuary that I sat in, struggling, fighting some serious demons. But I was there, I was worshiping, and I looked around and I thought, wonder how many other people are sitting in here mm-hmm. that are in that place that I was once in. You, you bet. You know, and I think I I would tell them that we're all here, you know, for for you. And we're all we all have our struggles and you have to put your ego aside no matter what it is. I mean, it doesn't even have to be addiction. We all we all have struggles that, you know, we're not going to judge you. Mm. Jesus is not going to judge you. Quit hiding. Yeah. Quit hiding. That's good. Yeah, the last question I have is this, and it may be emotional for you, but I think that's good. I I asked you what would you say to other people who are struggling, but right now Jesus is sitting right here. What what do, what do you need to say to him? You're make me tear up. Wow, that's tough. I mean, it's easy. I know what I want to say, but it's tough to say it where people can understand what I'm saying, but. That's okay. We, 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 we'll allow us to just be intruders on this conversation. Okay. It's okay. We don't have to understand everything. Jesus, I just want to thank you for the mercy and the grace that you show me, Lord. For the miracles that you worked in my life. I am so humbled and grateful for you. You're... The love that you have for me, I just, it's so hard to even put into words, but I feel it. Mm. I feel it, and I'm just so honored to know you. Man, thank you. Let me pray for you real quick. Father God, uh, we, I don't have any words to match that at all, and it's, we just praise you. We praise you that you are the rescuer, that you are redeemer, that you take the most broken lives, our lives, and put them back together somehow, some way. We don't get it. And Father God, I, I look forward to the day when we are in heaven with you, when we see you face to face, when we be able to spend time with each other and be able to just tell stories over and over about the greatness of, 
and the, the graciousness of you, our Savior. And so I know Stephanie, what Stephanie wants is the same thing that hopefully we would all want is to point to you because you are the one who has healed her life. And uh, I pray that as she steps into tomorrow, that she will, she will step into it openly and not hide, that she will step into tomorrow with confidence because of you, but, Father, that she will, she will constantly be remembering uh, where she's been, but most importantly, where she's at now because of you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Steph, thank you so much. It's been really, it's been really good because we don't, you know, there's no script here. We're not right. rehearsing anything, and we didn't even talk much ahead of time. I just really appreciate your heart and the fact you'd be so open. You're, you're practicing what you're preaching uh, by just coming on a podcast for our church and talking to other people in our church about your story. And I, I think you'll be surprised how many people this will affect. Um, so I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. This is an honor, really. Thank you. Hey, uh, join us again next time. We'll be on, but uh, it's going to be, um, you, need, you probably need some time in between episodes to process this. But uh, have a good week.